Hey everyone, we have a question this week about hymns and contemporary music. You know you want to know all about it. That and a couple of other questions. Why don't we still have some of our old-fashioned hymns? You want to hear about it. This edition of Ask, coming next. Welcome once again. I'm Pastor Jamie here at Cornerstone Church. Every week we answer your questions about Bible, faith, and life. And so every episode is absolutely necessary to have your questions. If you have a question, other people do too. So go to cornerstonepv.org. There's a media button. Just hit that. It drops down. You can hit ask and then it pops up a window. You just put in your question. Easy. Submit it. Boom. You don't even have to leave your name and you'll see it in an upcoming episode. So hopefully you will do that today. Okay. So first question. It's one we get a lot of, maybe a little bit less in today's day, but uh, here it goes, right? Why can't we sing an equal amount of old-fashioned, it's a key term that I want to point out, hymns and contemporary music. The new stuff is oftentimes filled with feel-good theology and music that has a tempo I can barely follow or understand. And he says, leave that last part up if you want. But I didn't. So I think it's good. Thanks for the question. Um, I've held on to this one actually for a while because I was hoping to have one or two of our worship leaders on uh, but I've not been able to plan that, and I want to answer this before I go on sabbatical. So I'll do my best, but maybe we can get more extensive with a couple of other thoughts at some point in, in the future. So first, when you use the term old-fashioned hymns, and we hear this a lot, right? We have to define what you mean by that. And I don't mean the nitpick, but that is uh, defined in very different ways depending on who you're talking to. At this point, it is typically used by older churchgoers who see um, old-fashioned hymns as something they grew up with, typically now 80s or 90s, or maybe a little bit before that, right? 70s, 60s, um, and, and they're probably a little bit older. If you show, though, the person, uh, the, this person, Psalms from the Psalter of centuries ago, they usually make a face and say, yeah, not those, because I don't know those. Well, they are older than the old-fashioned hymns you're referring to. So what do you mean by old-fashioned? What I think is meant is the ones you connected to back in the day. And those are special to you. And this is not a small thing or something to be ignored. Music is powerful and the connections we make to music are very, very strong, right? My only point is this, that we should not use the term old-fashioned because it tends to imply, right, that there was the old good music that we grew up with in, in churches and now we have contemporary music. But that's not the case. Church history is far, far longer, right? For example, the organ was once referred to as Satan's instrument when it was new, and then it became a very prominent part of worship in churches, but has kind of largely fallen away today. Things have their day, they come and they go. Is the organ still a good instrument? Sure. But is it okay to use other instruments? Of course. Stringed instruments, uh, drums are referred to in the Bible. So I recommend when talking about this and when making this argument, you refer to these hymns not as old-fashioned, but instead as the music many of us sang in churches when we were younger. Because keep in mind, the context of music isn't just the time period, but also the culture, right? What we see as worship music in some of our African countries, our Indian brothers and sisters, and even some of our ethnic churches uh, in, in America, this is often gonna look and feel very, very different music-wise from what we are used to in our church. It doesn't make either one bad, it's just contextual. The second part of your question is about the viability of singing hymns like churches did in our context, maybe back in the 80s, 90s, 70s, uh, moving forward. 
And there is certainly nothing wrong with it, and I think it's good to not forget some of our older church members. But as time goes by, it's less and less people who connect with this kind of music, right? As a, as a church leader, I, I want to use a music style that the vast majority of our church body can relate to. This is why we don't sing hymns typically in the traditional way that much. Now, however, I do want to address your statement about the text of songs, right? You, you seem to imply that songs of yesteryear were deeper theologically than songs today. And perhaps that's overall true, but I would argue that there were songs uh, sang in those years that were not very deep. A beloved hymn we sing a lot at funerals is called In the Garden, which I like, by the way, but I challenge you to read the lyrics. It's not very deep but it's full of feeling in regards to our relationship with God, which I think is fine, but it's not a deep theological hymn. However, it's true, definitely true, that many contemporary songs you might hear on Christian radio are pretty surface level, uh, but a church like ours, we rarely sing those in our church, right? We, we choose contemporary songs that have a rich gospel-centered text. And if you look at the lyrics, they're full of very worshipful and biblical phrases. We do it, we're very careful about what we choose. Um, so I, I think it's pretty deep theologically, at least in our church. Lastly, I would love to address your comment about singability. I don't even know if that's a word, but the ones um, or that, that are easier to sing. In many cases, they are, but I would argue these old hymns could also become pretty boring to sing. That's the same tune over and over again. But that's just my opinion, right? So again, this is contextual for each person. All of us can sing different types of songs better than others. There are some songs our church sings that I can't sing well, but it's usually because the note is a little higher than I tend to go. But I think usually our worship team does a good job keeping the notes at a level most of us can follow. Once again, I would argue that you can sing lots of these songs as you become familiar with them. That's the key, familiarity. I bet when your favorite song comes on the radio, you can sing along with it pretty well. And I guarantee you it's a tempo very different from the hymns you refer to. But here's what happens. You're familiar with it. So it takes being in church a little while and you become familiar with some of these newer songs. Give it a shot. And big one here, if you really want to invest in it, look the songs up on YouTube or your music platform, Spotify or Apple Music, something like that. And you can actually listen to some of these songs and you'll find yourself able to follow along with most of them in church. My two cents, three cents, maybe it's five cents, I don't know. Second question, Pastor Jamie, after, this after his crucifixion, is there a reason Jesus was dead for three days, not two days, or even one day? Yes, there is some significance to Jesus' resurrection happening on the third day. First, if Jesus died on Friday and was risen on Friday, it would give more credence to his opponents to say, well, he was not actually dead. This is the swoon theory, for instance, right? That the, the theory that Jesus suffered mightily, but he did not die. He crawled out of that grave. But three days? No way. That can't happen. And Jewish thought, if you were dead for three days, you are without a doubt dead. Another reason that Jesus was in the grave for three days uh, is biblical prophecy, right? There was prof prophets in the Old Testament and Jesus himself in the New Testament that refers to the Messiah being in the grave for three days before rising from the dead. So some scholars, I mean, they, some scholars also think there is significance to the day of the week, right? Jesus died on Friday of Passover, where it, it or when it most symbolizes the sacrificial lamb that takes the place of the sinner. And then there's Sunday, which is the first day of the week. That often symbolizes a new beginning. 
right? I mean, maybe that's true. Other than that, honestly, it's just the timing that God decided, right? But I think there's some significance to it. Lastly, do you have plans for your sabbatical? Ah, good question. I am glad um, that, that you asked this. Our church is investing in me to allow to take a three-month sabbatical. This will start after the last weekend of June, and it will run into the first week of October. A sabbatical for a pastor is, is meant for rest and lots of reflection. I realize most pastors are not given this opportunity, and, and that happens for lots of reasons. And I'm so grateful that our leadership and our church body, they see the importance of allow, allowing me to rejuvenate, right? So I can keep going for hopefully many years to come with you. Um, I'm under no delusion that my job is harder physically, mentally, or even more emotionally than anyone else um, who's part of our church family but has a, a secular job. The main difference, however, is it is most definitely harder spiritually. Uh, pastors are under spiritual attack every single day, and that can really wear on us. Um, so, more to your question, what will I do on my sabbatical? I assure you it is not meant to just be one long vacation. There will be certainly times of vacation with family and friends as part of it, but I am devising a plan that will involve deep study in the scriptures, prayer plans, uh, reading some books that will really help me to restore, um, also help me to think deeply, books that I just need to get to, that I would love to read and digest. Um, the idea is for me to come back, not just rested, but with a newness of perspective of what God, God might be doing in our church and our, in our community. My biggest hope is that this will also be a great time for our church as well. This is an awesome opportunity to be reminded that the gospel ministry at Cornerstone Church is not dependent on me at all, and certainly not alone. It's a unique opportunity for many of you, if you're part of our church family, to step into spaces to help and lead in ways you have not before. So my prayer is that you will actually do that. And you'll pray for me while I'm on sabbatical, okay? All right, hey, we still got about a month worth, well, a little less than a month worth of episodes until I'm on sabbatical. So we need your questions. CornerstoneBV.org, submit them. In the meantime, we'll see you this weekend, Saturday at 5, Sunday at 9 or 11. If you don't have a church home and you're somewhere in our community, we'd love to meet you. Don't be scared. First visit to church can be tough, but we want to meet you. So come and join us and say hello. God bless.